Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ben, are you ready to get this party started? <laughs> oh! Oh, that pumps me up. <laughs> you too. Pump it up. Doo-doo-doo. That was a song back in the <laughs> Don't encourage us singing. <laughs> Stupid. Hey, wait, have you ever heard of a, um, oh my God, I shouldn't even say this because it will illustrate my utter ignorance of uh, rap music. And you'll be like, oh God, how can you not know that? Hello. They're called Run uh, DMC. Uh, hold on. Uh, naughty by nature. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, excuse me, Mister. That's Ling. like that's like early nineties. That's like early nineties. They were playing it last night uh, at the bowling alley. You down with like, OPP? Oh, I liked it. Yeah. How'd you know? That's like yeah. their hit. I was like, whoa, this is pretty good. Did they tell you what you OPP know? stands for? Yes. And let's clean up your act. You're not Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and you don't have the right to curse whenever you want to. I thought it was other people's property. Very good. Or problems? It's property, right? Yeah. As opposed to, uh, yes. But, um, yeah, I was like, oh, wow, this is pretty good. And they had that, like, Jackson 5 melody, you know, weaving through it. Go, Ben, you're such an old guy. Listeners, this is what a podcast would sound like <laughs> in 1990. <laughs> hey, you're that naughty by nature? Huh? Oh. oh, my God, it's so hilarious. <laughs> And I had like this old man freeze. What do they call it uh, when they put the the current song? I mean, an old song into a sample. There you oh, go. Oh, nice, nice. Thank you. And just like, wow, I can't remember the word. But that's what got me to it because they sampled a song from the seventies, Jackson Five song. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is very interesting. <laughs> there we go. Hey, you know, it took thirty years, but you heard it. Like, uh, I kind of liked it, yeah. <laughs> and everybody at the bowling alley, Ben, it's, uh, you know, come on, you got to know that song. So anyway. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, March 8th, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Surprise, he talked about the Bulls in his last <laughs> column. Well, they, it was best of Chicago, okay? Just in my defense, Your Honor, it was best of Chicago. And so what do I love best? In Chicago right now, my beloved Chicago Bulls. I'm not jumping off the bandwagon just because they've lost five in a row, just because they can't beat the Philadelphia 76ers, just because Joel Embiid torches them every time he plays them. No, I'm not jumping off the bandwagon like the rest of you front runners here in the city of Chicago who are now running around with Philadelphia 76ers shirts on going, oh, I love Joel Embiid. Wow. Sorry, dude. It's like you just described your whole weekend in one little <laughs> rant there. It was actually last night that they lost uh, to the Sixers. Friday, they lost to the Bucs. Five in a row. Did I mention they lost five in a row, Dick? I may have mentioned that, did I not? Check out that column. Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. Chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K. 
J-A-K-I. That's not correct. What? Oh. <laughs> what? Oh, you're right. J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y. Oh, that was well done, young man. That was very well done. It is Tuesday, March 8th, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another City Council synopsis with the one, the only, Mr. City Council, Dave Glowatz. And now your host, how many losses? For the Bulls? Five. Five. Your host, Ben Jarofsky. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Get Along Tuesday, and here's why. Yes, my Bulls have lost five in a row. That's not what I'm going to talk about. By the way, I'm really looking forward to Dave Glowatz uh, coming on the show. I did a pre-show plan prep with him, Dave. Yeah, a lot of pre-show plan prep. Uh, and he uh, started to tell me uh, what he was uh, going. I know one of the segments that he's going to do, and it has to deal with one of my favorite topics, which I don't get to talk, discuss enough, tiffs. Hmm. No, never. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, this is what's on my mind. I saw this in Saturday's newspaper. I took a picture of it. I'm showing Dennis. This is very uh, hipster of me. You know, I took a picture of it, D. Okay, I didn't save the article. I took a picture of it on my phone, Okay. So I'm very hip, um, very millennialistic. So I just, <laughs> very Chicago is a funny town, ladies and gentlemen, a very funny town. Uh, you're, you're a lot of hostility in the city of Chicago. A lot of it is, uh, is tragic. I mean, there's just constant violence. People, when they have a disagreement, they pull out a gun and they shoot each other. And then there's just the next level down where they throw a punch at each other. And the next level down from that where they insult each other uh, and they chastise each other. They mock each other. They taunt each other. That's kind of like embedded in Chicago. That's like I would say that Chicago really has a problem with a feeling of like uh, inadequacy. And like uh, you've, you've insulted me. Everybody. Everybody in Chicago. Our mayor in particular has that attitude. She's not even from Chicago. So I just would just say that. And, and I realize, you know, maybe it's not my place uh, to speak about Chicago D because I'm not from Chicago and maybe a, a Chicago and somebody born here and raised here will go, well, who are you, Mr. Evanston by way of Rhode Island to tell us about how we do things. I'm just saying I've lived here since 81. I was just mentioning this to Dennis. This, uh, I was just thinking about this dibs. It's a big Chicago thing. I didn't know about dibs until I moved to Chicago, but dibs like you, you carve out a space in front of your house during the snow and you put like a chair out there or whatever to, to block it. And Chicagoans, it's like, this is a big deal in Chicago. Like, are you for dibs or are you against dibs? And Chicagoans, it gets to the heart I'm talking about. Chicagoans are always ready to have a fight. They're always like, yeah, that's my parking space. I'm going to punch you. That's like Chicago. I'm just saying Chicago. Don't get mad at me. I'm just calling it out. So now we have a mayor who pretty much insults absolutely everyone she talks to on a regular basis. It's it's almost it's at the point of entertainment. Uh, the last one we were talking about uh, on the, that broke last week, uh, where she uh, was chastising two employees of her 
uh, two employees, of course, from the park district. Uh, and she got into uh, insulting them uh, and mocking them and taunting them uh, and then maligning just a whole group of people, Italian-Americans, by reducing them to uh, one phrase, the Italians. Anyway, it's on my mind. Uh, she, by the way, it's interesting, D, Mayor Lori Lightfoot did not deny she said the words. She's just outraged that they were reported. I am outraged by these accusations. Yeah, but did you say them? I am so outraged by the, yeah, but did you say, I cannot comment on this because it's the subject of a lawsuit. Well, you can say if you said it or not. I mean, <laughs> you notice that Chicagoans? You, know, you notice your mayor did not quite say she didn't say what the lawsuit says she said. Anyway, I, I mention all that, by the way of an introduction, uh, to a two-page spread in my beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times, home delivered as always. I love the Saturday Sun-Times. I'm going to give a shout-out to the Sun-Times. Sun-Times, I'm doing some free promotional work for you. They have the sports Saturday section where the it's like a whole like Sports Illustrated wrapped around the newspaper. I wonder how many people at the Sun-Times are into sports. For some reason, D, I had a feeling when we were there that not a lot of people at the bright one were into sports, uh, except for mm, Evan Moore... Uh, we're running out of people who are into sports. Anyway, neither here nor there. Um, I love the uh, Saturday Sun-Times, the sports section. They do a great job. But inside the newspaper itself, there were opposing pages. A big full-page story. Mayor denies making derogatory remarks about Italian-Americans. Actually, misleading headline. She did not technically deny it. She said she was outraged by it. And she said it was just horrific thing to say about her that she would uh, have anything against Italian Americans, which is different than saying she denies making the remarks. Just saying, right one. I love you dearly, but just saying, uh, she did not actually say she didn't say it. Uh, and then right next to it is an article about uh, Janice Jackson, who uh, is the former CEO of the Chicago public schools. And um, she did an interview with Fran Spielman of the Sun times uh, at first questions, Fran Spielman asked her, are you going to run for mayor? Absolutely not. I do not want to be the mayor of Chicago. And she talks about her new venture where she's working uh, with philanthropists to raise money to provide college scholarships for Chicago public school graduates, which I think is a noble cause. So thank you all uh, for doing that, Janice Jackson and your cohorts. Uh, I could go off on a whole tangent about how we should support uh, scholarships publicly. Uh, so that we shouldn't deter people against government. But it's not about to happen. Uh, the same people who are supporting this program voted against Bernie Sanders, who called for public financing of scholarships, just pointing that out, raise taxes on the wealthiest people and use it to provide everybody with scholarships. But they prefer to go the private philanthropic route. So I guess that's where we're at. Um, Anyway, uh, in announcing her resignation from Chicago Public Schools, Jackson bemoaned the toxic relationship between the Chicago Teachers Union and the Chicago Public Schools that made her job difficult under the best of circumstances, infinitely worse. Since then, a dispute between those two sides over coronavirus safety mitigations led to five days of canceled classes. Jackson said from the sidelines, she sees a glimmer of hope that tensions may be easing somewhat, quote, 
I do think that CTU is paying more attention to what the public is saying, and they've had to be more accountable than they've had been in the past. CTU, CTU leadership was put in check by the people that they serve, the students, the families, and the rank-and-file teachers. There seems to be a bit more civility. I will repeat that. CTU has been put in check. There seems to be a bit more civility, as though the only uncivil people in the city of Chicago were the leaders of the Chicago Teachers Union, Stacey Davis Gates, uh, Jesse Sharkey, etc. Meanwhile, right next door to this article is a story about Mayor Lori Lightfoot berating two employees and saying, quote, <laughs> I have the biggest dick in Chicago. Now, I, folks, is it like, are we in separate universes? Why, Janice Jackson, you don't work for CPS anymore. It's okay to criticize Mayor Lori Lightfoot. She goes, those teachers are so mean and nasty and uncivil, but I do detect a little more civility. What about your beloved Mayor Lori Lightfoot berating the lawyers? I'm like, are you kidding me? Is not... One page of the Sun-Times is not reading the other page of the Sun-Times. It's not Stacey Davis-Gates who called someone up and said, are you a lawyer? What law school did you go to? And dropped the F-bomb on him and talked about the size of her dick. Lord, Stacey Davis-Gates didn't do that. Then sometimes I think I'm living in Mars, like a, a surreal universe. You know what I'm saying? Like we all pretend something is... the one way when it's actually something completely different. Like we all pretend. So in this case, corporate Chicago, civic Chicago wants to pretend that the only mean and nasty people in the city of Chicago are the leaders of the Chicago teachers union. Completely closing off eyes and ears to the mayor, their ally. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're a hundred percent full of shit is what I think. If you think oh. We no offense, fuck you then. Who are you to tell me I'm full of shit? There you go. How did that come up? Just out of nowhere. Yeah. That came up. I feel like a good moment to play it. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. Janice Jackson, was that Stacey Davis Gates' fault to tell Alderman Ray Lopez that he's full of shit? Did Jesse Sharkey tell him he was full of shit? I'm like, I'm like, this is a surreal universe. Just it's like a freaking surreal universe. We're just going to play this card out, huh? We're just going to pretend like what we see right in front of us doesn't exist. But the mean, nasty people are those god-awful leaders of the Chicago Teachers Union. Poor Stacey Davis-Gates. I know she could defend herself, but they like they propped her up like this mean, evil, nasty person. And now they're going to play that card all the way down the line, no matter what the mayor says. We should bring Stacey Davis Gates on the show, D, and ask her, did she ever tell anybody ever that she had the biggest dick in Chicago? I'm just throwing that out there. Did she ever take a group of people and reduce them to one classification? The Italians. Weird city, folks. We, we are a very weird city. All right, when we come back, we'll take a little break. We come back, the great Dave Glowatz will be here. We'll be breaking down. The latest antics from our Chicago City Council. He's got all the scoops. Stick around.
Is that Dave Glowatz? Oh, everybody, <laughs> Dave Glowatz, give him a hand. Uh, I love the studio audience. Wake up, studio audience. Okay? All right, have some coffee. Uh, it is indeed Dave Glowatz, uh, host of Inside Chicago Government, ace reporter, uh, and uh, at least once a month visitor in the Ben Jarofsky show. Welcome back, young man. It's great to be here, and thanks again for having me. And uh, you have selected several uh, segments from the recent Chicago City Council meeting or meeting. Sometimes you do committee meetings. I do not know any of the segments except for one that has to do with TIFFs. I've already mentioned that. Uh, that one segment. Dave's throwing me a bone. He's going to allow me to discuss TIFFs. I'm so excited. I can I can barely stay seated. I'm jumping up and down with enthusiasm. <laughs> so without further ado, I turn it over to young Dave Glowatz. I'd like to start with a riddle, if I might. Who is the most popular public health official among pirates? Uh, uh, among pirates, uh, is it Allison? Doc. Is it Allison Arwadi? <laughs> Was that right? Did you hear the answer, Allison Arwadi? I knew you would get that one. Oh, is that really the joke? Yes. <laughs> All right, you, that, you were, that was so easy. Let me give you another one. Oh, no. Who in Chicago has the largest hey, man. Or, organ? Uh, well, uh, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, of course. Nope, it's not it. No? Who? Fourth Presbyterian Church over there in Streeterville. They have oh. the largest organ. The second largest is the Rockefeller Chapel. Wait a minute, time out. Who in Chicago? I, does that work as a riddle? You have to re you have to rewrite the opening of that riddle to make it work. It was you know? double on time, Ben. I don't know, but you say who that implies a human I being. I was setting you up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, well, uh, Dennis, please, we're going to do white first. The most recent meeting, Ben, of the full city council took place on February 23. And it lasted only three and a half hours, a little short as these go. Near the start of the meeting, after public comments, came a time to hear resolutions from the mayor. One resolution was to honor Secretary of State Jesse White, on the occasion of his retirement. Ben, why is he retiring? Or when, let's say, when will he retire? When do you think? Well, I, I believe he'll officially step down uh, after the ne- his successor is sworn in. Am I correct? So would that be December of, of this year? Or January? I think that's right. Yeah, the, the retirement is coincidental with him not running for re-election. And I'm not going to ask you how long he's been Secretary of State, because I sure don't know. But it's been a long time. I believe 1990. Seven. Seven. Wow. I swear to God, I was going to say seven and Dennis said it. And it was like a voice speaking in my head. And now I know what Joe Rogan has, D. When Joe Rogan goes, Jamie. And Jamie whispers it. It's great. White is so popular. They even know his name in Anchorage, I hear. Um, So this resolution to honor uh, Jesse White on the occasion of his retirement Alderman spoke in support of this resolution for nearly two hours. We're not going to listen to anything close to that, but we will hear just a snippet of comments by 47th Ward Alderman Walter Burnett. And you'll briefly hear, did I say 47? Yes, you did. 27th Ward Alderman Walter Burnett. 
You'll briefly hear another voice, which is 10th Ward Alderman Sue Sadlowski-Garza, who walked over to put her arm around Burnett as he spoke. Let's listen. No, he's not my father, but he's like my father. Let me, uh, let me, uh, I know you all touched on a lot of things about Mr. White. He's a great statesman, a great politician. He's father to a whole bunch of people, thousands of kids from Cabrini Green. So I was worried about doing this. I tried to write it down. So what happened? Sorry. I'm cool. It's cool. love. It's love, baby. So, uh, so what y'all don't know, they used to call him the hoodlum priest <laughs> because he looked for the good in everybody. Even today, you know, all the time I've been with him, he, he would say stuff like, that's all right, Walter. Don't worry about that. That's all right. No matter how they treat you, that's all right. And it always turned out, it comes out all right. And he's like, you just be, keep being good. I had to be the bad guy in our organization because he never says no to anybody, even if they don't do nothing, right? So I had to be the one like, man, you better get out of here. <laughs> but he's like, that's all right, Walter. He helps them anyway. And I thank God that he has that kind of heart. I wouldn't be here. Even a guy who, you know, had a record, made a mistake, still gave me an opportunity allowed me to run his organization and, and let it grow. And, and our organization, you know, is mixed. It's Jewish, Italian, Polish. Everybody is in our organization. He was not racist. He refused to be racist. And he would tell the Tumblers, he would tell all of us, all of us no one should hate anyone because of their ethnicity or the color of their skin. You know, a lot of folks trip on us because, yeah, we support white candidates. We support Latino candidates. We support everybody in spite of what everybody else say. Because we look at who they are in their hearts. And that's how Mr. White is. And he always say, that's all right. Forget that dumb stuff. This is what it's about. You know, when he first ran for uh, recorded deeds, I was a sergeant at arms for the 42nd Ward Democrat organization with George Dunn who's both of our guardian angel. I asked Mr. Dunn when Mr. White district changed and he ran for recorded deeds. I said, Mr. Dunn, can I go help Mr. White run for recorded deeds? He said, yes. Some deputy campaign manager, Margaret Houlihan was the campaign manager. And I would drive Mr. White all day, every day, all over the county to campaign. But we will always drift away from the campaign because the only thing he cared about was a tumbling tape. <laughs> so he would have to go to a campaign stop and it was my job to make him go to the campaign stop, but we had to go do a tumbling show first. <laughs> and Mr. Burnett there is talking about the Jesse White Tumblers, which is a uh, acrobatic sort of gymnastic team that Jesse White founded and performs around uh, the area and uh, is a way for a youth to um, learn responsibility and um, become active. And I'll pitch it to you, Ben. Well, I, uh, Jesse White is uh, the most, I'd say the most popular politician in the state of Illinois. It's remarkable uh, all the strife and discord we have in the state. And uh, everybody seems to like Jesse White. Uh, and there's several reasons for that. And I put at the top, uh, that uh, first of all, he's a very likable human being. There's just some people that radiate uh, 
likability. Uh, and then in addition, he never got involved in any of the huge <laughs> conflicts uh, in uh, the state of Illinois or the city of Chicago. I, I can't recall uh, Jesse White taking a position in any of the contentious issues that came down. So um, that's uh, another way to stay uh, very uh, likable. Uh, and third of all, uh, he is the Secretary of State, and as such, he's the one whose office, anyway, doles out driver's licenses. Well, everybody wants a driver's license, and uh, his picture is right there on the wall of pretty much every uh, motor vehicle facility in the state of Illinois. So anybody gets a driver's license, is sort of like seeing Jesse White. You almost feel like he did it for them personally. And in that regard, uh, Dave, I think he has been an honorable Secretary of State. I'll put it to you this way. I talk about this a lot. There's a heated race to, to uh, succeed him, Alexei Giannoulis and um, uh, Anna Valencia and uh, Alderman David Moore running against each other in the Democratic uh, primary. And I cannot for the life of me remember who the Republican candidates are. Whoever they are will be f- probably funded by uh, uh, Kenny G, Ken Griffin. Uh, but the point is, in each of those candidates, I have to feel, especially with the two front runners, uh, Giannullius and uh, Valencia, I have the feeling that being Secretary of State is a springboard of something else that they really want. You get what I'm saying? Jesse White made it clear he didn't want anything else. I remember at various times people talk, well, will Jesse White run for uh, governor? Will Jesse White will Jesse White run for senator? And he made it clear, no, this is what he wanted to do. Well, how many governors can I name that were Secretary of State? Uh, um, George Ryan. Um, uh, uh, I can see his face, but I'm forgetting his name. He's the Jim elder state, Jim Edgar. And can are there any others? Uh, not that I not that I can recall in my life. Uh, secretary, there was a, a secretary of state who ran for Senate. Uh, Alan Dixon was victorious, uh, and um, uh, but I can't I can't think of anyone who's uh, so. You, so your premise there has has a basis. My 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 point is is that he didn't use it as a springboard. I mean, it's a natural springboard. In other words, you're like I said, you're pictures on every motor vehicle facility throughout the state so people will know who you are name recognition is very important so it's clearly an office uh, that any ambitious politician who's thinking of going to washington or being a, a governor or maybe even one day they all in the back of their minds think they're going to be president uh could be f- run for president not that any secretary of state has ever run for president, but uh, Jesse White made it clear from the get-go that uh, his political ambitions ended here as secretary of state. And so naturally, every that's another reason everybody's going to like him, because he's not coming for anybody's job. Uh, so for all these reasons, uh, he's exceedingly popular. And boy, I could go on and on. I'm going to refrain, but just... The George Dunn, they all come from the George Dunn organization, which is the old 42nd Ward organization. And what a cast of characters. He didn't mention Bert Nateris, the alderman of the 42nd Ward. They essentially took the 42nd Ward, ladies and gentlemen, as a history lesson none of you asked for, but you're going to get anyway, and divided into two. The 42nd Ward used to be a uh, very racially uh, and economically integrated ward. It included the Gold Coast and Cabrini Green. And for you youngsters out there, Cabrini Green uh, was a CHA a high-rise project right uh, on the roughly, oh, it, was, it took a massive land between uh, Division uh, and Chicago Avenue uh, just uh, east of Halstead. And it was, it's been torn down. 
Uh, most of the residents scattered. We did a show on that. Uh, but the point is, at one point, Cabrini Green was in the same ward as the um, a Gold Coast, and George Dunn ran the ward, and uh, Jesse White was more or less his ambassador, his political ambassador to Cabrini Green. He was a public school teacher at Jenner Elementary, so a gym teacher. Uh, he started the Tumblers, and so he was a very key uh person in George Dunn's organization because he was to direct outreach to Cabrini Green. And eventually they spun Cabrini Green into its own ward, the 27th Ward, uniting it with the West Side. And that's when Walter Burnett uh, was elected uh, alderman. And so now there's two wards, a white ward, which is run by uh, Dave's favorite alderman, Brendan O'Reilly, and uh, the 27th Ward, which is basically a West Side. I'm just kidding. It's just to see if I get a reaction out of him with that. All right. Well, if I can interrupt, uh, since we're talking politics, one of the things that Burnett said I thought our listeners might be interested in is he, he used the term our organization in the present tense when he was talking about himself and Jesse White. And I wonder if um, I think you, uh, you, you sort of presaged my question, anticipated my question. He's talking about a political organization, a campaign organization, that persists to this day, evidently, by uh, Alderman Burnett's remarks. Uh, are you with me? Are you are you in agreement with that? Yeah, uh, Jesse White was, I believe, the committeeman of the twenty seventh ward, and Walter Burnett has taken over. Um, so I, I presume that's the organization he's talking about. There no, there is no more forty second ward organization uh, of that. Um, gave a start to Jesse White and Walter Burnett. That, but, but there is an organization called the 27th Ward Regular Democrats. Yeah, and that's and, what uh, I said. That's the evolution out of the old 42nd Ward. Go ahead. And so what we have today is we have, and as we've had for a long time, we have this office called committeeman, or as we say now, committee person, which many of the aldermen in Chicago are. They serve a, a parallel and while the aldermanic role is arguably just a governmental one, the, the committee person role is purely a political one, which exists to, for example, help the party fulfill vacancies when someone is left office. And in many wards, they are the key campaign person. They're the person who runs the ward organization in terms of getting votes out and getting publicity about candidates running on the Democratic ticket. Is that a fair assessment, do you think? Yes. I feel like I'm being uh, at a Senate hearing. Uh, yes, I will agree with that assessment. Yes, sir, Senator. Yes, sir, Senator. Uh, hold on. <laughs> First, I'm going to talk to my lawyer, who's my counselor. Uh, yes, uh, I agree so, with that. So residents and voters might not know how closely linked their elected f- officials are to this whole parallel uh so, so voters might not be even be acknowledged or not even known that many of their elected people are, in fact, doing this whole other set of work around campaigns and supporting candidates running for office. So that's the point I was trying to make. Yes. And they're uh, blissfully unaware of it. Uh, most Chicagoans are completely unaware of how uh, government works. 
Let's just be honest. Uh, and so this is a whole other degree of understanding that it's, there's a party, a political party, uh, and there's a city government. Uh, and these are two separate branches. One uh, you pay for out of your taxes and the other is essentially a private entity. But you're correct. In Chicago, traditionally, uh, they've been linked. And George Dunn was the committeeman of the 42nd Ward. Uh, he had a flourishing insurance business. And then he went, he went into politics. He was the president of the Cook County Board. So he, he served both functions. He was a, a party uh, animal and he was an elected official. And uh, Jesse White carried on that tradition. And so has Walter Burnett. They have a party position and they have a political position. Or hey, and notice when Walter Burnett extols the virtues, at least in the clip we heard, of Jesse White, he doesn't talk about how Jesse White has streamlined the Secretary of State's office or made it easier or more efficient for people to get driver's licenses or has helped run the uh, state library. He didn't talk about any of the governmental stuff. He talked purely, and I can tell you in the rest of his remarks, also reflects this, talked purely in the political realm, which is, you know, kind of revealing. Yeah. Well, they're all party animals. And uh, it was, again, it was a very political operation when George Dunn ran it. And it was the 42nd Ward and everybody had their role in it. Uh, and uh, I remember Burton Terrace in that hierarchy was higher for a while uh, than Jesse White. And then Jesse White eclipsed them all, which is, I suppose, uh, ironic of sorts. But he's, will be, there will be schools named for Jesse White, I have a prediction. Uh, there will not be schools named for George Dunn and Burton Terrace. There might be already schools named for Jesse White, for, for all we know. Yes, for all we know. Shall we move on? Dennis, please, we'll do land next. In February, Ben, the City Council's Committee on Housing and Real Estate passed a proposed ordinance authorizing the planning and law departments to acquire the site of an Aldi store that closed last October on the west side. You're about Madison and Pulaski. This ordinance was considered by the full city council on February 23, where it passed, but not before aldermen spoke for and against it, some of, some of which we'll hear now. Let's listen. The community of West Garfield Park currently lacks any, and I say any, full service grocery options in its community. Alderman Harrison. Let's talk to corporate America. This is corporate discrimination on some of our basic human functions. And each time one of my colleagues has to stand up and talk about, oh, another grocery store left. It has not happened in any of the other neighborhoods other than in the black and brown neighborhoods. This is a corporate discrimination. Alderman Moore. Part of the problem is operators. You have some developers that want to build a grocery store. All they want is they rent, but we don't have operators. But then there's people who do not have money to partner. So it's important that these stores and these businesses help us develop operators. This is important that millionaires that run for office, the best way you can get elected is to help a community. Use those millions to go and put into communities so we can develop operators. Alderman down. I support my colleagues' efforts, but I need to move on my Pete's grocery store, Madam President. And I just have to say that publicly. Thank you. I'll uh, refrain. Alderman Lopez. We have an unequal, unequitable application of an unknown policy being activated for this purchase. 
purchasing a lot without having a end user, that is a dangerous gambit we are playing with taxpayers' money. Trying particularly to get a grocery store has become exponentially more difficult in the city of Chicago and indeed the country, in part because of their rebate scandal and other issues that have gone on for the past 10 years. If we buy this today, there will not be a grocery store tomorrow. There might not be a grocery store for three years. Are we going to be responsible for this site for the next six years while we wait to find a tenant? We are going to see an explosion of city-owned property, city-owned storefronts, city-owned buildings across every ward in the city of Chicago, because that's the only thing that's right and fair when all of these businesses leave based on the policy logic we're hearing today. Chairman Osterman, I, I feel compelled to uh, correct a few things that, that Madam President, if I, if I if I could speak to the issue and hopefully move this item forward. I made a commitment to the members of the Housing and Real Estate Committee, and I make this to the full council to try to get planning to come up with a more clear policy moving forward, which I think is fair. In Alderman Durbin's community on the west side, losing a grocery store is unbelievably significant. Well, I, th I think you covered it, but the, the notion that we are willy-nilly exercising this unusual authority is just not so. This is a dire circumstance. We are concerned about the condition of that property, making sure that it is maintained in a way that will be attractive for a new grocery store to come in while we continue to actively pursue leads. Mayor Lightfoot made some additional policy revelations at a press conference after the city council meeting. Listeners can hear that in the extended version of this episode found at the Inside Chicago Government website, shygov.com. Yes, all right. Uh, this is the TIFF portion of the show uh, that Dave uh, so graciously uh, said that he would set aside for me. Uh, I don't get an, enough opportunity to talk about TIFFs. Fascinating subject, I find, anyway. I may be, and, and the alderman didn't mention the word no, during, during not, the debate. <laughs> of course. Of course they don't. <laughs> the TIFF word. You must not ever mention the TIFF word. Because, ladies and gentlemen, there's so much wrong with TIFF. I've been writing about TIFFs. My first TIFF story was in 1987. That's a long time. I don't even think Dave Kloetz was living in Chicago in 1987. I think he may have been living in New Jersey. That's, that right. is correct, Senator. Uh, wow, how did I know that? Anyway, um, there's so much wrong with uh, the way TIFF, the TIFF program works in the city of Chicago. It could be separate chapters of a book. Each way they're wrong, all right? Uh, and some of the wrong things about TIFFs bother me more than the other parts of it, okay? I think uh, the number one aspect of the TIF program in the city of Chicago that I object to the most is the unfairness of it because this is the largest single source of discretionary income that the city has to uh, develop communities and to seed economic development. And it's largely used because of flaws in the program uh, to benefit wealthy communities that don't need seating. That was my number one complaint about the TIF program in the city of Chicago. Now, this particular TIF plan that Jason Irvin is supporting in the 28th Ward will uh, set aside property taxes to purchase land that used to house an Aldi grocery store. Aldi went out of business. Now there's vacant 
buildings uh, in the 28th Ward. Uh, we used to have a grocery store. And what Jason Irvin would like is for the city to purchase it and then sell the land to some developer who will turn it into another grocery store which in my humble opinion is a perfectly fine in and of itself application of TIFs. Like I have no objection to the notion of spending city dollars to develop a an abandoned grocery store, turn it back into a grocery store so that the land is producing taxes and people have a place to go and buy their groceries. I don't know why you could be against that. The point that Raymond Lopez raises is another problem uh, with TIFs, and that is, and this is a this is another longstanding problem. When the city buys up land using property tax dollars, you one take the land off the tax rolls uh, so that it's no longer providing any property taxes. So it's just your property taxes will go up to compensate, uh, and two, there's no guarantee that at any given time. Uh, the city will be able to cut a deal with the developer to put it back on the rolls. Ben, can I interject? I think there's, there's, there's a key point here is that this piece of land is in a tax increment financing district. I don't, I don't believe you mentioned that. And the name of that district is the Madison, Addison, I'm sorry, the Madison um, Austin redevelopment uh, yes. planning area. So the tax dollars that already go, uh, that the, property taxpayer, whoever owns the land, had been paying, a good chunk of it went to, uh, was diverted to the TIF. So the schools weren't even getting it, et cetera. Uh, but it now will not be, right now with the city owning it, there will be no tax dollars generated. So the city is putting up money. It's putting up money to buy the land with the idea that it will then sell the land to somebody uh, to, to be developed. And I appreciate the fact uh, that Alderman Lopez uh, is raising these concerns because this is one aspect of using TIFs that I objected to down uh, throughout time. It's not number one on my list, but this happens quite frequently. And uh, I just want to correct that point. Uh, Ray Lowe sort of mentioned it seemed like this is the first time it ever happened. No, I think the most glaring, uh, obvious case that pops to my mind is when uh, the city of Chicago under Mayor Daly, and Dave, you remember this because we talked about this a lot, uh, bought up the old Michael Reese Hospital on the near south side in Pat Dowell's ward. She spoke out, or maybe it was Tony Preckwinkle's ward at the time. Anyway. For the Olympics. For the Olympics. And you talk about speculation. They took, I spent, I think, about $100 million purchasing very valuable lakefront land taking it off the market uh, with the idea that some housing developer would come in and build the Olympic village. Uh, we never got the Olympics. <laughs> so no developer came and that purchase occurred. I want to say in 2007 or 2008, somewhere around there. And here we are in 2022 and we're only now getting a project off the ground at Michael Reese hospital. So yes. So not only has the city had to pay, to and I, as I understand it, they've had to make annual payments because they uh, because of the loan structure. But not only that, but they weren't getting any property. You know, the county and the city weren't getting any property taxes from a private landholder. There, yes. Once the city purchases land, obviously it's publicly owned land. There will the city will not be paying property taxes to itself. So you're taking land off the property tax roll. That's what TIFs do anyway when you create a TIF. You essentially take the land off the property tax rolls so that the 
the Board of Education can't tax it, the Park District, et cetera, and so forth. And the city purchased lands. You're using with a TIF, you're using property taxes to take property off the tax rolls. It's like a double whammy. And it's a speculative investment. You have no idea. In the case of the Olympic Village, they had, they had no developer. Mayor Daly, I remember at the time, oh, don't worry about this, ladies and gentlemen. There's going to be developers coming to, coming through the cracks in the wall to develop this land. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mayor Daly's long gone. Took 15 years. And so Raylo is raising a legitimate point uh, when he says it's a dangerous uh, precedent, though it's not a precedent, but it's a dangerous act. It's an act of speculation. And uh, I remember they did the same thing with DePaul. With the DePaul, well, they don't call it the DePaul Basketball Arena anymore. Wintrust. Wintrust. Uh, and actually, it ended up, the TIF dollars that were supposed to go for that uh, deal went to Navy Pier. What a, what a scam. <laughs> I, I want to unwind this from TIF a little bit, if I could, because, no. you know, having witnessed the, quote, debate, unquote, around this at city council, as I said earlier, there was no mention of tax increment financing in the debate, and Alderman Lopez did not invoke tax increment financing at all. He was just, uh, I believe, merely talking from a policy standpoint that it's bad. We don't, like we said, we don't have a policy about when it's appropriate for the city to acquire land and whether there should be a plan for it. TIF aside, right? I think whether or not this area was in a tax increment financing district or not, I believe his point was, well, where is the policy? And then we heard Chairman Osterman of the Housing Committee, of the Real Estate Committee, saying that I'm going to work with the planning department to craft such a plan. You know, again, whether or not it's in a TIF district. Secondly, this district, do you happen to know, like I do, the uh, expiration year of this TIF district? 2024. 2023 is uh, according to the website, but they, they might have extended it a year. So it's coming up. So Wait, you, you just you just like you gotta give a guy credit. That's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, I don't have a phone in front of me. <laughs> Come on, that's like you know. My apologies. That's my apologies. I mean, good, good call, good call. <laughs> wow, even I'm amazed by that, ladies and gentlemen. How did you know that? I. I don't know. It's a cry for help. All right, go ahead. So, you know, uh, in that respect, the you wonder how relevant the TIF argument is if this thing is going to disappear. But the ordinance to that, that the city council passed to buy this thing, which I have here, says that one of the justifications for buying this land, let me step back a moment and say, you know, the justification is that I think we heard uh, in some of the in some of the, of the clip that the justification has to do with making sure that the you know the, the plot of land in which an unused store is sitting in is not going to fall into disrepair because the city is going to be responsible for it as opposed to a private entity that you know can just let it get uh, dilapidated. So that that is the uh, sort of the narrative, but in the ordinance itself, it says that the reason that uh, the justification for this is that in order to ach- achieve the objectives of the TIF plan, which include, among other things, reducing or eliminating conditions that qualify the TIF district as a redevelopment area. So the justification is so that the value, the values inherent in the property that are in the TIF district 
stay preserved. Yet there's only a year left on this TIF district. So it, I'm just pointing out it's a little, the, the language in the ordinance is a little incongruous. Well, with. my uh, read of what you just told me is this. Uh, this project, which uh, on the base, uh, just on the surface, everybody would would support the idea of of building a grocery store using public dollars to uh, develop a grow, help develop a grocery store in an area that desperately needs it. So this project will, in my humble opinion, uh, become the justification for extending this entire TIF district. So the TIF district is about to expire in 2024. So what they've done is they <laughs> they've come already come up with an excuse to extend it for another 13 years, All which right, they can do statutorily. Yes, and uh, it's, you need to get approval from the General Assembly, which has never been uh, difficult uh, under Madigan or under Chris Welch. Uh, this happens throughout the state, not just city of Chicago. Cities are constantly turning to the uh, General Assembly, to the state, uh, to extend TIF districts, uh, TIF districts. So you're right. This could be a justification for that. I, I'm not, that's my guess, uh, knowing the way the TIF game is played. Uh, and uh, so, yes. So, uh, listen, another uh, criticism I have of TIS districts is that they bring in much more money uh, to, to, than any one project. So if you were to say uh, the first TIF district in the city of Chicago was downtown and Harold Washington uh, was driving uh, the TIF cart at the time. And he promised that the TIF district would only be there to subsidize the development of block 37 shopping mall in downtown Chicago. And as soon as that project was over, he would eliminate the TIF district and all the money generated by Block 37 would go back to the schools, et cetera. So he was asking the schools for permission to lend him the money up front to develop the land so it would bring in more money down the road. And what Mayor Daley figured out uh, in the mid-90s is that if you just create a giant TIF district that's larger than any one project, you'll have a source of money pouring in for 23 years that you alone control. And so the TIF will generate more money than any one project. And so that's what they're setting up here uh, with this Aldi grocery store. If they do what you say or what I speculate they're going to do and ask for an extension of the entire TIF district. So if you could design a TIF district just to subsidize the construction of one project and then eliminate the TIF district after the project uh, was completed, I would say that would be a far more efficient use of taxpayers' funds. That, but again, Dave, that's just one of like five at least objections I have to the TIF program. Maybe up to a dozen if you if I really thought about it. Uh, it's not that the top the top is the inequity of it all, but the secret budgets that it creates uh, is is um, which the mayor controls is is a is a big objective uh, ob objection I have to the TIF program as well. And who knows, had Mayor Washington lived to fill his second term, then uh, things might have gone a whole different way, TIF-wise. They might have, uh, although somebody might have convinced Harold Washington. It, listen, any mayor uh, is going to be tempted by the TIF uh, program because it's millions and millions of dollars pouring in that they control. We'll never know. Yeah, so we don't know if Harold Washington uh, would have done the right thing or if he would have done the daily thing. We, we don't can know. fantasize. Yes. Dennis, please, we'll do Hero next. 
Well, let's talk about something we've talked about a couple times before. We've talked before about the controversial nomination by Mayor Lightfoot of Andrea Kirsten to head the Civilian Office of Police Accountability, or COPA. To recap, many aldermen opposed Kirsten's appointment because last year, COPA issued a report that found fault with deceased police officer Ella French during a botched police raid in 2019 of Ms. Ann Jeanette Young. Anyway, we've heard before how the Public Safety Committee didn't vote on Ms. Kirsten's nomination at its January meeting, but it did at its February meeting, and Kirsten's nomination passed the committee then. So it came before the full city council on February 23, and now we'll hear aldermen speaking prior to the vote. Let's listen. If some of you are uncomfortable with voting yes or voting no, you might want to walk out of the room right now, but I will be asking for a roll call vote and reminding my colleagues of the letter that 20 of us sent to you with two other aldermen that wanted to sign on to the letter that never had the chance. Alderman Irvin. All this woman did was her job. That's all she did. She did a job. Her job is to report the facts. The facts are the facts. We cannot have our own set of facts. Alderman Tavares. Ms. Kirsten has refused to admit that she made a mistake in releasing the report seeking a suspension for a fallen police officer. Now Ms. Kirsten seeks a position to judge police officers who make split-second life-or-death decisions. Ms. Kirsten has refused to apologize for her decision to include Officer French's name in the report. Instead, saying she's sorry if Officer French's friends and family took it the wrong way. Ms. Kirsten said her hands were tied in releasing the report recommending Officer French for suspension due to FOIA regulations, though this has been called into question by leading experts in the field. And we've learned that Ms. Kirsten has taken zero use of force training to see how she herself would respond under similar situations that police officers face on a daily basis. I'll be voting no, and I'm interested to see how many who vote in favor of this appointment ask for more police officers in their wards in four months. Alderwoman had To my colleagues who oppose this appointment, I genuinely can understand your position. I can understand the strong feelings that you have. I wish that those feelings extended to the lives of Black residents in the city, as some of those same colleagues who've been so vocal are the same people who DMP'd a settlement. If you want law and order, you want consistency. If you want accountability, we need it from all of us, all of our public servants. That means police officers who bash out windows, pulled somebody from their hair, and blind them for no reason have to be held accountable as well. Anyone who opposes this today also holds the double standard of expecting to let other people off the hook when they are wrong, when they violate the public trust, shame on you. And I don't say that lightly because I respect you guys and I don't like to shame people, but shame on you for the double standard. Alderman Taylor. 
I was one of the aldermen who signed on the letter because I questioned the timing and what I respect about her and the reason why she will get my vote today because I called her and she picked up the phone and she answered and what would I have her to do? What I said to her was, you need to depend on the 50 people that sit in this seat to assist you when you have to make decisions like that, because it had to be told because that's the law. But what bothers me more than anything, when we talk about accountability, what was this accountability for Laquan? What was this accountability for Adam Toledo? What was this accountability for Anjanette Young? See, we pick and choose who and what we're going to hold accountable. We need to hold everybody accountable. Alderman Garza. I, too, was one of the individuals that signed on to this letter in the beginning because I did find it to be insensitive. But after speaking with you and listening to what you had to say, I do believe that you were doing your job. I support the Chicago Police Department. The men and women in the 4th District are some of the finest people I've ever met in my life. They're hardworking and they really go above and beyond in what they do. And I think you will do the same. Solderman Garster. What I want to say to my colleagues that are new is get out of your feelings, okay? She had a job to do. She had to deal with the facts that were there. I hear a lot of this transparency this, transparency that, but only when it suits our needs do we want them to be transparent. She did not do that. She did her job. Chairman Tyler Farrell. I would like to just take this last opportunity to correct the record. Ms. Kirstein appeared before the Committee on Public Safety, she apologized several times while in committee, and she's apologized several times to the family of our fallen hero outside of committee as well. I do wish that the record would reflect that rather than what was noted earlier by stating that she did not apologize. Just a couple of clarifications, Ben. The letter that they're talking about is a letter that was sent to the mayor by 20 aldermen opposing the mayor's nomination of Ms. Kirsten. And a couple other aldermen apparently signed on later after it was sent. And we heard there uh, several of them say that they were signatures, signers of that letter, and they um, changed their minds. Secondly, we heard Alderman Haddon talk about uh, somebody DNPing a settlement. That was the settlement, I believe, for Ms. Anjanette Young, who had sued because of the botched police raid in, at her home. And when it was introduced to city council, there were aldermen who called for it to be deferred. So she was uh, calling out those aldermen as being uh, hypocritical. Yeah, fa- fascinating uh, exchange. And I'm going to just tie two segments together. This is a very contentious issue, very volatile issue. Uh, folks uh, on opposite sides of it feel very strongly and passionately about it. They feel it's a certainty. And going back to Jesse White, this is the kind of volatile debates that he has managed to avoid getting, having to get involved in his most of his political career, which may again explain why he's so popular. Because if you have to take it to, if you have to make a decision in a debate like this, it's hard to walk away. I'd say it's pretty almost impossible to walk away without somebody being really angry at you. And that's just the way it is. Uh, so Nick Pizzato, who began the debate, said, I'm going to put you on the record as if I'm going to hold you accountable. F- You're going to be held accountable for voting for her. That's what he's saying. Nick Pizzato from the 38th Ward, a uh, big defender and ally of the Fraternal Order of Police. So he's essentially, and the Fraternal Order of Police is opposing uh, the appointment of of Kirsten to this position. So 
he's saying you're going to be held accountable for how you vote. Just warning you. Uh, so this is the kind of contentious debate uh, that uh, Jesse White's been able to avoid. Moving on from that, uh, Dave, this I mean, this 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 is a I, I'm very critical of Mayor Lori Lightfoot for a lot of reason, reasons. But I must recognize that uh, anybody who is mayor of the city of Chicago cannot avoid just alienating huge portions of the city by how they engage moments like this. Personally, I'm totally with uh, all the aldermen who said Kirsten had no choice. The issue here was whether she was going to block from a public document the fact uh, that uh, uh, Ella French had been written up for the Engineet Young raid. Now, actually, Ella Franch- French was like a hero at that moment. J- Engineet Young has praised her. So she, she was actually one of the police officers in that raid who acted uh, – went above and beyond the call of duty uh, to take care of the needs of engineer young. But the fact she was written up, you cannot avoid that. You can't erase a transcript or a city document. You could say maybe the, the document is misleading in the total course of a person's career, but I don't think it's a disrespect to the memory of anyone uh, to note that they were written up. If they oh, were fairly uh, written up, then you can make note of that. Go ahead, Dave. Evidently, your your um, perspective on this is very different from that of the rank and file police officers. I think it's evidenced by the speech made by uh, 23rd Ward Alderman Silvana Tabaris, which um, I've never heard. I've never heard the likes of it in terms of her speaking uh, such a uh, dramatic, <laughs> dramatic uh, speech that she made, which I think sort of the tone of which encapsulates or epitomizes perhaps what some of the rank and file feel in terms of this issue. It's just, it's just how it struck me. Well, it's an interesting, she raised, I'll give her credit for this, uh, Tiberis, Alderman of the 23rd Ward. Uh, and I'll, uh, I will give her credit for this. Uh, she said her, the reason, one of the reasons cited for voting against Kirsten is that she claimed that Kirsten had never undergone a, a course uh, that talked about a split second decisions that police officers have to make when use of force training. Yeah. Use of force training. And, uh, and on the other hand, uh, she will be adjudicating uh, matters uh, that come up regarding use of force uh, conflicts. So I think that's a legitimate complaint. What, know, if, what if Ben, no head of COPA has had use of force training? I would, I, you stole my, it's like you read my mind. What a beautiful thing my mind is. Uh, you read my mind. I was about I to say. I enjoyed the reading, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready for the movie. Uh, and then he, <laughs> what's in my mind right now? Uh, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely correct. Part. Maybe all uh, heads of COPA should be required to take use of force training courses. By the way, maybe all police officers should be required to take like history of Chicago brutality courses. I mean, this all right, now you're getting all crazy talk. I know it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, everybody has to be trained. And so I would say that's a far more legitimate reason to cite for voting against her than for including uh, French's name in a report. I don't know how, if you didn't put her name in, that would be changing a public document. I just, I can't understand why anybody on any side would justify uh, doing that unless they were looking for a talking point. And here's a fun riddle. What do you want to guess the vote was? It, it was passed for nomination. Uh, I actually read this. I say it was 33 to 14. 
3114. There were two, there was one alderman missing, and there was one alderman who was no longer in office, as you know. Okay, well, Patrick PDT. I see Patrick Haley Thompson. <laughs> By the way, I don't know if you know this, Dennis is throwing his hat into the ring for uh, being named alderman of the 11th Ward. I didn't know he lives in the 11th Ward. Yes, uh, he claims he does. I'm not actually <laughs> sure he does. But uh, do, you have to, do you have to live there when you file? I do not know the answer to that question. Uh, 15th and Racine. <laughs> I believe I'm 11th Ward. Okay. Right. Uh, <laughs> look, he defends himself. Alderman, Alderman Shepard. Uh, yeah, uh, Alderman Dr. DeMarvelous. He, Dennis, uh, what's your middle name? Joseph. Dennis Joseph Shetter. Wow. Sheeter. Is it Sheeter? Sorry. <laughs> That's why I call him Dr. So there's, Dean, no, there's no, like, dailies in your family? You can't? Uh, no, no, no. no. But Joseph is similar to Michael Joseph Madigan, so that's oh, okay. that. Uh, and, MJS, uh, yeah. He he wore a Dennis wore a tie to work uh, about a week ago as just preparing for after he uh, sent uh, sent yeah. the, his application to the mayor. Yeah. That's a joke, ladies and gentlemen. He did not really send an application. <laughs> oh my god! Somebody, oh my god! I heard that Doctor D is running for mayor. <laughs> It'll be on the front page <laughs> of the Sun Times tomorrow. Someone's going to tweet it out. <laughs> Twitter. All those reporters who are now listening to every word of your podcast <laughs> to find the next scoop. Oh uh, my god! Eleventh Ward Alderman. A doctor is Alderman. Aspirant. Who was the last doctor to be an alderman in the Chicago City Council? I'm trying to All think. Right, we'll come up with that some other time. Shall we move on? Yes, sir. Dennis, please, we'll do civil next. Last autumn, let's go back in time, Ben, the administration introduced something it called the Victims Justice Ordinance, which would, it said, quote, create a civil remedy against street gang predatory and propagative driven practices, unquote. The ordinance would specifically empower the corporation council to sue for damages anyone affiliated with a gang. And the ordinance defines the gang. Uh, and the basis for the suit would be, quote, based upon the city's expending money, allocating or reallocating police, firefighting or emergency or other personnel or resources or otherwise incurring any loss, deprivation or injury or sustaining any damage, impairment or harm whatsoever including costs and resources associated with supporting victims of street gang-related activity, unquote. Mm. So this is the so-called asset forfeiture ordinance, and it ran into a buzzsaw of opposition from civil liberties proponents and others, some of whom claim that this kind of law has been used elsewhere with no real good effect. In February, the proposed ordinance was passed 10 to 4 by the Council's Public Safety Committee. We'll now hear first what happened on February 23 when the Public Safety Committee Chair, 29th Ward Alderman Chris Taliaferro, reported on the ordinance at the City Council meeting. Then we'll hear comments to the press from Mayor Lightfoot after the meeting. Let's listen. On February 17th, the committee recommended passage of Substitute Ordinance 2021-4130 titled Victims Justice Ordinance to create a civil remedy against street gang predatory and profit-driven practices. Madam President, I join my colleague, Alderman Napolitano, in moving to defer and publish this item. We deferred and published. We made a decision that we were going to delay the final vote to continue to educate people. There's been a lot of misinformation. Unfortunately, we heard a lot of that today about what the ordinance is and what it isn't. And again, I want to be clear what it is. This would require the city of Chicago to file a complaint in court 
we would always have the burden of proof. There was some conversation today that the burden shifts to the defendant. That's not correct. By definition, this ordinance seeks to hold gang leaders, not ordinary members, but gang leaders accountable. And it gives an opportunity if someone has an asset that's been identified, but that would present a hardship for them, for example, a car, they have the ability to appeal and then continue to have access to the asset. I heard from a number of members that they didn't attend briefings and weren't sure exactly what was in the ordinance itself. And we have made some modifications based upon the feedback that we've gotten, both from members of the public and from the body. So it's important that we make sure that we reach every alderman that continues to have questions. I think the people that want an attorney are going to have ample of opportunity. As a member of the bar myself, I know that people are willing to take on pro bono cases if that's what is necessary. And I would expect that there are going to be a number of people, particularly the civil rights folks, that are going to be more than willing to step up and defend defendants that are named in these cases. So I don't see that as the grounds for impediment to getting this ordinance passed. The people that we will target, they have plenty of money to pay an attorney. And they have attorneys that they regularly go to in defense of themselves and their members when they get into any kind of legal trouble. So I I think it's a little bit of a red herring to say these poor, murderous gang members, gang leaders, are not going to have ample representation. This is a very lucrative business. Many of these gang leaders who are really reaping the benefits of the drug trade launder their assets in a number of different ways. I know that from my experience as a former federal prosecutor where I prosecuted a lot of drug cases uh, back in the day. They have ingenious ways of laundering their money and putting into seemingly legitimate businesses and other assets. And we mean to identify those gangs and what their assets are. And again, the burden of proof is on us. We raise the threshold higher than what the state uh, requires. We raise the threshold to only go after gang leaders. So we've got to prove that um, person that we've identified is in fact in leadership. And then we've got to prove that the assets that we want to forfeit are in fact the proceeds of the illegal activity. So clarification there. We heard at the beginning Chairman Taliaferro move to defer and publish the ordinance, which means that the council will take up the measure at the next meeting. And when he did that, he essentially choked off any discussion of the ordinance. And I uh, was sitting there and I noticed that while he was speaking, 40th Ward Alderman Andre Vasquez was waving his hand for the mayor to recognize him. And word on the street was that progressive aldermen like Vasquez wanted to be the ones to defer the ordinance, but the administration beat them to it. (laughs) Ah, the games aldermen play. I have not read... Uh, the latest version, so I would be chastised by uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot if I were to weigh in on it, but it sure seems to me uh, that it's a replication of something that already exists. If she's bragging about the time she spent uh, as a federal prosecutor uh, bringing uh, gang leaders, murderous gang leaders in the court and seizing their assets, then why do we need a more law <laughs> for something more law? That didn't make sense. Why do we need a new law for something that already exists? And I've really I had a smile when she started talking about the legions of corporate lawyers who are just waiting to sign up to do pro bono work. Pro bono means free. I mean, I can't even get the words out. Uh, 
I believe she was talking about uh, sort of uh, public interest organizations as opposed to corporate uh, lawyers. I, I believe that's what she was talking about. I'm, uh, either way, I don't listen. It, but, it's but not then, that easy to find then, some lawyer to work for free. But then she said, you'll notice that she said that all these the people that we're going to be going after have lots of money to hire lawyers. So we won't need Yeah, them. well, that's a different thing. Okay. So the objection that the Andre Vasquez of the world have is the proverbial grandmother who, who finds herself dealing with uh, city seizing her car. Uh, so You mean the grandmother gang leader? Well, the grandmother gang leader implies that granny runs the gang. I think Andre, if I'm speaking for you, Andre Alderman, Andre Vasquez, and I don't mean to. Uh, and I believe also uh, Sharon Mitchell, who came on the show, a public defender, uh, also is arguing that a grandmother whose offspring may have been charged uh, with something illegal will be held accountable for what her offspring has done. It's like a police commander whose daughter is driving her car in which a, uh, a guy like throws heroin out the window of. Uh, similar, yes. Uh, good, good analogy. Anyway, uh, I cannot comment on this further without being chastised by the mayor because I've not read the actual ordinance. So I will have uh, no further comment. Yeah, you didn't attend the briefings either. Yes, I did not, definitely. <laughs> I did not attend the briefings. Yes, Dennis. Nor was I invited to the briefing. <laughs> didn't get the memo, Dennis. Please, we'll do Blake next. Well, this last bit comes from one of the final parts of the February 23 City Council meeting, and it was the passage of a resolution honoring Chicago and George Blakemore on his 80th birthday. I'll note that the council's agenda had over 40 such resolutions on it, though none of the others were distinguished in this way. Alderman and the mayor spoke on the resolution for 17 minutes. Ben, why would they be honoring Mr. Blakemore, do you think? I don't know. I mean, George Blakemore has been a fixture at city council meetings uh, and at public hearings going back, I don't know, the 80s. That's the answer. Oh, okay. But like, <laughs> why suddenly do they like him? Uh, that's like the, the, more, that's the more interesting question. Yeah, I mean, the city of Chicago has never really been a – has a lot of tolerance uh, for people on the, the margins – uh, who speak up at hearings. Uh, there's a curious uh, amount of love for George Blakemore. Well, there's two things that's happened. I, I wasn't going to go there, but since you did, one is that, as I've mentioned in the past, this year and um, since um, what's well, been almost a year now that the city council has met um, in person after the pandemic uh, video conference meetings. So they started, they resumed back in March of 2021. But as I've said before, they don't allow the public in there. And the only reason I'm there is because I'm there with the press corps. They do allow us in. Mm -hmm. But the seating area for the public is occupied by aldermen who have been spaced out around the chamber. The public is allowed in a glassed off mezzanine, which is above their seats, and they can't really see up there because it kind of overhangs their seats. The mayor can see them, can see somebody up there. So Mr. Blakemore, in the past, when he was at city council meetings, he was, you know, there was a microphone for public comment that's right in there among the aldermen. And he can look at them and he can, you know, shake his fist at them. He hasn't been physically present for a year. 
you know, he's been at meetings and, you know, he's on the PA system up there in the mezzanine behind the glass and nobody can see him. So there's that. So his sort of his fire, some of his, his thunder has been stolen. Secondly, during the um, last budget cycle, the mayor and her team had a bunch of public forums where they were uh, introducing the budget and they went in different parts of the city. And uh, there was one that I went to, um, gosh, I can't remember now where it was. Um, it was on the west side. Yeah, it was at Malcolm X and at Malcolm X College. And George Blakemore was there, and he didn't participate. They had kind of like small group activities that, you know, allowed people at tables to, like, come up with their own concerns about budget process. And Blakemore was there, but he spent the whole time stalking back and forth with his phone in front of him, doing a selfie video while doing commentary and, like, pointing at all, like, all these people, you know, just kind of like um, uh, railing. And then at the end of the meeting, um, or at one point in the meeting where the mayor left the stage and was on the floor talking to people, Blakemore came up to her, her and he came up to her and she gave him a hug. And at that point, he said that she put a spell on him. <laughs> it was uh, an inch, and, and at no point did any security bother him while he was there, like, you know, making all this rocket. So that there are a couple of possibilities there. So with all that preface, um, what, um, where am I? Oh, uh, in this piece, I'm first going to play an example of the kinds of comments that Mr. Blakemore makes at almost every city council meeting. And this one comes from back when they were meeting in person, November of 2019. And then we'll hear Alderman speak in honor of Mr. Blakemore at the February 23 meeting. Let's listen. Good morning, Mr. Blakemore. It's not a good morning when black people are not receiving any of these marijuana licenses. It's sad. We're not getting anything, no economic development. This is disgraceful. The blacks did not receive any contract when it comes to this marijuana license. And the whites got them a discipline and an additional one. This is institutional racism here. I'm outraged by what's going on here with this Democratic Party and with you political hacks here. There's no economic development in these black areas. And we are legal citizens. And you're bringing in another group that's illegal to compete with us for jobs and contracts and services. Why? Why? Why are you so quiet, black people? Why are you so quiet and going along with this sanctuary? Why? You're a disgrace to the ancestors. Each one of you. Ah, disgrace. How can you let another people come in and get these jobs, contracts, and services that you're entitled to? What's wrong with you? Can you see what I see, black leadership? Can you hear what I hear, the pains of the ghetto? No economic development. Not any nada. Why do you want illegal people to come in and compete with legal people? Legal black people that were denied our reparation. Enslaved in America. Something is evil here. Something is mighty wrong here. And the ancestors don't like it here. But God sent me here to speak. So you black, whatever you call yourself, you're perpetrating. Thank you, Mr. Blakemore. 
I'm asking to have immediate suspension of the rules for a celebratory resolution for George Blakemore on his 80th birthday. I want to just say thank you to someone that pushes us all the time. Sometimes we may not like what he says. He's unapologetically pro-black. George makes us never forget, especially in the Black Caucus members, that we're black and we need to make sure that we advocate for the interests of black people. I appreciate it so much. I even bought one of his jackets at his birthday celebration Saturday, which I attended. George, I see you up there. I'm going to hang this up in my office and I'm going to want you to sign it so that it might be worth something one day. George. I too have one of the George Blakemore originals. I actually ran upstairs to go get it. It took me three days to air it out in my office. <laughs> because of the fumes painted with love. I've known Mr. Blakemore well over a decade, and he has been nothing but consistent with his preaching for goods, jobs, contracts, and services. Older woman Coleman. Original. It took three people to help me get into my George Blakemore. <laughs> Pretty in pink with the bling piece, but Mr. Blakemore, your voice is so necessary, not just here in the city, but in the county and in the state. Alderman Burnett. Just like the rest of these guys, I bought one of the uh, jackets from George. You know, George is real hard on the uh, Latino Imanos and Imanas, but he's also hard on me. I don't know if you know, Mayor, but George always attacked me here in the city council, and I don't even do anything to him, and he still... Sort <laughs> <laughs> of woman met. I thought George, when they came to the license committee all the time, he really helped to educate us about the public sidewalks, just things that made sense, why we don't have. And before you know it, we're looking at ordinance and ways to implement that plan. Mr. Blakemore, we're glad that you are actively engaged in our participatory democracy. You sometimes say that I cast a spell on you. I think you cast a spell on all of us. We wish you the best, sir. I want to clarify that that piece started out with six Ward Alderman Rod Sawyer. And I also want to explain that Mr. Blakemore often appears in public wearing multicolored outfits with matching jacket and pants, which he apparently paints by hand. And I didn't know that till this city council meeting. And I didn't realize he, he sells that clothes, that clothing. I was not aware of that either. And, uh, you know, I guess uh, they just ignore his message, but love the messenger. How about that? Isn't that what they're doing? Uh, love the messenger, ignore the message. Uh, and I think that's well put. Uh, that's kind of what he... Uh, and, and, he, and he's not there on the floor to, like, call them hypocrites. Yeah. He's, like, stuck behind the glass with no microphone. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I remember Daly. Uh, showing love for George Blakemore, Richard M. Daly, youngsters. Uh, I now make a point of uh, telling all my listeners uh, who the Dailies are because as we learned a couple weeks ago, there was a 30-year-old from the sub suburbs who sat on Patrick Daly Thompson's jury, and she never heard of the Dailies until she sat on that jury, and I was chastised by many baby boomers for being what? Uh, unfair to millennials because it's not their fault that they never heard of the most prominent political I name. <laughs> And I heard you say that a bunch of times. And I think the more salient point is that she was a suburbanite. 
uh, well, I've dealt with that issue as well. You're right. There's a huge wall between the city and the suburbs. And so suburbanites never get to hear news uh, stories about the dailies. Like, ask, me, ask me the mayor of any suburb, and I could not name them. Evanston. You know. All right. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Witness may step down. Uh, how about, how about, wait, wait. <laughs> Any summer, but uh, it's uh, practically Chicago. No. I would say that uh, Chicago News uh, is covered on Chicago news stations that are broadcast throughout the Chicago metropolitan area. And the Chicago mayor is far more known. Far gets far more coverage than any mayor of any town. But I've learned my lesson. Baby boomers are constantly chastising me for chastising millennials because baby boomers feel like very protective millennials and you're not allowed to criticize them. And just because they don't know anything, Ben, doesn't mean anything. Okay? Stop picking on millennials. So now I explain. So Richard M. Daly was the mayor of the city of Chicago throughout the 90s and into the O's, all right, when the aforementioned suburban 30-year-old was 19. And uh, he, I remember at the South Shore um, budget meeting the, at the South Shore uh, uh, Community Center, uh, Cultural Center, excuse me, uh, George Blakemore was, uh, went, went beyond his two-minute allotment of time. And I remember Daly going, no, no, let George speak. So... Uh, Daly was prematurely in love with uh, George Blake. All right, we've run out of time. Uh, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Weber High School for doing an outstanding job. Uh, Dave Glowatz, give folks uh, the, the information they need to know to get a, to follow you on the Internet. Go ahead. Find extended version of this episode with pieces you haven't heard at Inside Chicago Government at chigov.com. And if you're on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash insidegov, that's G-O-V. And on Twitter, followed Inside Chicago Government at C-H-I-G-O-V-T. Ben, thanks very much for, uh, again, indulging my obsession. And thank you to Dennis, too. It's an obsession I uh, share, and I love uh, these segments. And uh, just folks following along, the uh, mayor of Evanston, as as, uh, uh, Dave Gladys would tell you, would be one Dan Biss. All right, we've run out of time. I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of Joy Dalton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as Dave Gladys and George Blakemore will tell you, back home in Alton, uh, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for (laughs) Marvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. 